Have you ever been in a situation or circumstance where your mind just starts churning over things to the point where you find it really difficult to get to sleep? Or perhaps your stomach starts getting all tied up in, in knots and, and churned up and you just feel that pit of your stomach being all tightened up because of what's going on. Or maybe you uh, something minor happens and you just react in a way which is completely improportionate to what has happened and you, and you storm off and just leave everyone... Or, or maybe have an outburst of anger and you're left thinking, where did that come from? Or perhaps there is just a sense of guilt or shame that's sitting there that, that means you, you just don't feel that you can do anything. I suspect that might be all of us at some stage. Well, today's talk is going to be about one of the very possible solutions to get over those things. And, of course, we've been going through the, the uh, gospel or the good news according to Matthew, and, and today we're going to be continuing in that series. And, and the, the book of Matthew is just this fantastically orchestrated a set of scripture penned by the, by the Apostle Matthew, authored by the Holy Spirit, which is just full of layers that build on each other, culminating at the end where we get the, the Great Commission. And as you start to understand the layers that are built into this book, you, and when we finally get to the Great Commission, you'll see just a whole new revelation around what Jesus is saying when he's telling us to go out and baptize nations. So let me just give you a little bit of a recap on some of the layers that we've built so far. And if you remember at the start of last year, uh, the first talk that I did on the, on the book of Matthew, I identified that the very first verse in the book of Matthew, uh, the, the Apostle Matthew makes some incredible claims. He says that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who saves. He says that Jesus is the son of David, the one, the one who has the right to sit on God's throne in his kingdom. And he says that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the one who can fulfill all the promises of Abraham. Now for us, at this part of history, especially if we're believers, we look at that and say, well, that's just normal, isn't it? But if Matthew made those claims to a religious leader in his time who wasn't a believer, he was in very serious threat of being stoned. Incredible claims. And that's Matthew's starting point. And then he goes in the next few chapters and starts to give incredible proof, which any Jewish person would say, well, that is, I just got to accept that, incredible proof that the claims that Matthew made at the start are true. And then once Matthew has set that platform, he starts to open up the key message of his gospel and the key message of Jesus, which is the message of the kingdom. 
And we get the, the wonderful dialogue that Jesus shares uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus describes what it means to actually live in God's kingdom. And then Matthew steps on from that again and, and demonstrates that the kingdom is a place of power, that there is power in God's kingdom, and he, and he records all these different miracles and healings that Jesus did. More recently, uh, we have then made a little bit of a shift, and, the, and another layer that has been built in there is we see that Jesus, when he says that look to the fields, that they are white for harvest, pray that the Lord sends workers out of the harvest, Jesus is saying this mission is too big for one man, even if that man is the Son of God. And he's saying, I need people to partner with me. Who's seen the Jesus revolution? Denise and I went and saw it at the start of last week. And great movie. You know, in the past, Christian movies I've found have been a bit cringy. I, mean, uh, I, I guess they did what they could with their budget, but uh, this, whether it's Christian or not, is actually a really good movie. It's produced really well. It has a great story uh, that they, they tell, and the cinematography is done really professionally. The acting is very good. It is just a good movie. But uh, within the... And the movie is set in the... Uh, the Jesus Revolution that took place in the 60s and petered out around 1972, so the movie said at the end of it in the, in the credits. And one of the things that struck me in this movie was it was talking about the hippie generation and that what they were actually looking for was truth. But they were searching in all the wrong places. They were searching in the area of drugs. And that sort of thing, to try and find their answer. And when a church decided that it was going to look past all their faults, all their flaws, all their things, and actually start accepting, accepting them for who they were and actually reveal the truth of Jesus and his love to these people, the revolution just took off. Thousands upon thousands. There's one scene where they... Uh, um, Calvary Chapel was the church that I think was one of the key players in the game, and they, they were their initial building was too small, so they got this massive tent. They thought, well, this will take a few months to fill. They filled it in a week. Uh, Pastor Seb gave the elders a wee book a few weeks ago, uh, uh, which was uh, really a study done by the Barna Group and a group of other uh, Christian organisations around... Uh, young people of this current generation coming through high school, and they're calling them the open generation. A generation looking for truth. And I think there's a real parallel for what was perhaps going on in that hippie generation, and it, my casual observation is that the truth that they're looking for is the answer to identity. And I wonder if they encountered a church that would accept them just for who they are and introduce them to the truth of Jesus 
is it possible that we might see a move of God like happened back then? I certainly pray that it is. Anyway, so Jesus is saying that the work is too big for one man. But the harvest is ripe. And then he goes into the next chapter to, to Lara, actually, what does it look like to actually go out in the, into the harvest field and see people coming into the kingdom and the work that we as believers should be doing? And now we come to the next layer I'm going to, going to be talking about this morning. And this is about how Jesus is asking us to co-partner with him. And we're going to see, see that in the verses that we're looking at this morning, but then also in the parables that come after these verses. It's, it's actually describing how we can co-partner with Jesus in, in the world that we live in, in the power of his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles with you, are you up for this? Turn to Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Can we just pause there and just think about this verse for a second? God has hidden these things, the truths of the kingdom, God has hidden from the wise and learned. Does that make you think, why would God do that? God is talking about people who are wise and learned, think they've got the answers in their own eyes. Um, uh, the small group that we are privileged to be a part of, the uh, young adults group. Um, we're going through the book of Exodus, and Esther was leading that uh, on Tuesday night. And she brought out a thought which was actually really good. I don't know if I'd have thought it before, before but if you think back to um, Pharaoh, the Bible talks about how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Have you ever wondered, is that fear? And Esther brought out the thought that it's actually uh, what happened is that it was the reaction of Pharaoh's heart to encountering God. It was just a natural reaction because it was the, uh, it was the uh, basic state of Pharaoh's heart. And when we, um, it would be like, uh, if you look at ground, and God being the sun, you know, if the ground is fertile and full of seed, the sun can come down and you'll get incredible growth taking place. But if the ground is barren, the sun comes down, it just makes it hard and dry. Uh, it's the same sun. But it's what's the state of the heart which causes the reaction. And because of the state of Pharaoh's heart, that means that when he was encountering God, his heart hardened. Same, same thing here when we're talking about wise and learned. People who are wise and learned in their own eyes, they start to see that the keys of the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom, start becoming hidden from them. And I think that Jesus was also 
uh, in, in the eloquence that he had of, of presenting things, he was also probably making a little bit of a reference right back to the Garden of Eden. When Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and saw that it was good for wisdom, and basically Eve was saying, actually, I think I can be in charge of my future. I think I can have the brains and the intellect and the knowledge and the wisdom to actually determine what's best for my life rather than God. And what do they do once they actually partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? They hid. And we can be uh, think that we have all the answers and be wise in our own eyes. Think that we can do everything on our own strength. And if we start with that attitude, we will find that there will be principles of the kingdom that just get hidden from us. But Jesus says, if you come as a little child, you know, if you've, if you've, um, children come with a sense of wonder and exploration and discovery and trust in their parents. We were at a, a friend's um, 60th birthday yesterday afternoon and um, their, their daughter and husband, who are also good friends of ours, she boarded with us for a while. They've got twin kids who are two and a half. And so um, they, know, they know us a, a bit and uh, the daughter, I was having a bit of fun with her, and she kept coming out saying, you're a monster, as I'd go in there and I'd play bulldozers with them and that sort of thing, <laughs> she kept coming out. So uh, at one stage, I, rather than being down at that level, I was a bit higher, and I came in there, to, and she got a bit of a fright, and she ran off to her mum crying. <laughs> but, you know, she just had that incredible trust in her parents, coming with wonder and exploration and this trust, sense of trust. And Jesus is saying, when you come with that attitude, rather than one which says that, well, I know all the answers anyway, then the keys of the kingdom start to open up for you. The truths of the kingdom start to open up. And then if we go down to verse 28, the key verses for today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So uh, to actually understand this verse, it's helpful if we get a little bit of background behind it. So we're going to look at two things. First of all, some of the culture of the day and also oxen. So I was thinking about the best way of describing the, the characteristics of the time when Christ was actually sharing these verses. And you know, I think uh, if we look at it Try to look at it back then, it's a bit harder for us to actually comprehend, so I'm going to try and translate it into what our world would be today if it was like it was back in the time of Christ. Because, first of all, uh, the nation of Israel 
had been invaded by a foreign power, and they were putting all sorts of controls over the nation of Israel. So you imagine here, people don't like control. And recently, during COVID, we had our government put additional controls over us as individuals. And there was all sorts of angst and reaction, and we still have some echoes of that in New Zealand today. Just from what, compared to what was back then in Israel, was just some relatively minor controls. But you imagine, and, and so anything that increases control is gonna create reaction amongst us. And you imagine if we had a nation like Russia, or China, or America invade us and start to tell us how we are supposed to live and start to put additional controls. How do you think you would be feeling about that? And then here's a real kicker. Imagine if they came along and said, you've still got to pay all your normal taxes to your government to run the country, but we want 10% of everything you earn to go into our coffers. And we're going to appoint people. I think we'll call them tax collectors. We're not going to pay them. They can just add whatever margin they like onto what they're collecting off you for their own income. Can you picture that? Can you imagine what that would be like here? If, if out of your, first of all, you've been controlled in aspects of what you can, can and can't do. And then also an additional perhaps 20% once the tax collector got there. Put on it. And they didn't care whether you could meet your bills or not. You just had to pay. How do you think you're feeling? No response? And you can see why uh, you know, Matthew was a tax collector. He knew the angst that people had towards them. And you can imagine if you, if you had one of your neighbours who decided that they were going to become one of these tax collectors and put their margin on it and, and you already felt that you're paying more tax than you should anyway, you might not like them quite so much anymore. And then they had the religious leaders who were putting... You know, they had the law of Moses that had been passed down, then they put all their own interpretations on this, and they're adding extra and extra and extra laws, and they were telling people uh, what they could wear, when they could work, what they could do, how women were supposed to act, all these things. There's all these additional stuff coming on, bringing controls. And you, So you imagine, if, uh, like occurs in some countries that are in this world today, that there is a religious power around that started to control how we wore, what we could wear, where we could go, who we could associate with, what foods we could eat. This was the environment that Jesus was speaking into. So that people felt controlled. They would have understood what it meant to carry heavy burdens and be weary from the lifestyle that, they were being, that was being put over them. So when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened, And all you who are weary and burdened. I reckon Matthew, when he was sitting there recording what Jesus was saying, being the shorthand expert he was from being a tax collector, I think he would have sat up when Jesus said that and said, oh, I need to write this down. 
Next, we need to understand a little bit about oxen. So if you were uh, like me and thought that oxen were a breed of animal, you're sadly mistaken. Oxen are trained cattle. So this is what I discovered as I researched oxen. So they, what they do is they take a, a calf, when it's young, a male calf, castrate it, make sure they feed it heaps, and they train it from a very young age. And when they get to a certain age, they start to pair it up with another ox and to the, of a similar size and shape so that they can partner together. And once they have teamed up with another ox, not all of them actually get to that grade, but once they have teamed up with another ox, they're there for life. They'll, they'll never partner with, with someone else. And so they are highly trained cattle. Now, they're, they're actually big beasts as well. Typically, an ox might weigh about 1,000 kgs, about a tonne. Big animal. But they're incredible animals. They can work all day. They'll just keep going. In fact, uh, you know the term acre, an area of land, an acre of an area of land. So the way that the word acre originally came from is it's the amount of land that a team of oxen can plough in the longest day of the year. In fact, uh, they, they also say that if you only have a farm around 10 to 20 acres, it's still more economical for you to own a team of oxen than it to own a tractor. Uh, during, during the opening up of America, there were around 300,000 teams of oxen being used. Just, just some stats and figures. So uh, uh, the really interesting thing about an ox, though, is it's got incredible pulling power. So if you have an ox that weighs about a tonne, it can pull about 1.2 tonnes. So a 1,000 kg ox will pull about 1,200 kgs. That's its pulling power. Now, you would be right to think that if you had two ox working together, each weighing about a tonne, and they try to make sure that they're partnered the same, that if one pulls 1.2, two will pull 2.4 tonne. You'd sorely be mistaken with that as well. Uh, you see, when oxen appear, they have a yoke across them, which is, which is a wooden structure which fits around their necks and helps them to, to get the unison going and in, in pulling. Carpenters made yokes, and they make them and fit them nicely. Now, I seem to remember Jesus was a carpenter before he started his ministry. He was probably very familiar with yokes and the shaping that needed to take place just to make sure that they fitted really well. And when you, we, when you get a really good paired team of oxen trained well with a really good fitting yoke, and you put that pulling power there, they don't pull just 2.4 tonne. They, for a short distance, they can pull 5 tonne. Synergy, teamwork. 1 plus 1 does not equal 2, it equals 4. That's incredible. I, I, I just boggled at that. I thought, how on earth does that work? But that's, that's what they've found. That's what a, a, a team of oxen will do. If they're trained well, they're balanced, and they've got a really good fitting yoke. And that starts to give a little bit more of a fresh understanding when you realise that as to what Jesus is 
talking about here in these verses. You see, we are always yoked to something. We will always be yoked to something. There's lots of things that we can be yoked to. Jesus wants us to be yoked to him. That's what he's talking about in these verses. But we can be yoked to uh, lots of other things that basically set themselves up above God. We can be yoked to sin. We can be yoked to ideals. We can be yoked to some other philosophy. We can be yoked to our own thinking. And whenever we're yoked to something that is not Jesus, we find that we've got something trying to work beside us which holds all this promise towards us and says, I can help you do this, and we find that it actually has no substance. And then we've got this yoke here, and because it's got no substance, it's adding no pulling power to us, and it's actually trying to twist us. And suddenly we found that if on our own, when we could have pulled 1,200 kgs, we can hardly pull anything. And we suddenly find that the uh, burden that we have to try and pull and carry is heavy and tiresome and worrisome, and the yoke just doesn't feel comfortable. And we start having stuff going round in our heads, losing sleep. And we start having our stomach churning. Because we're putting our trust in something else. We're yoked to something else. Is that making sense? We have to be yoked to something. It's just part of who we are. It's not Jesus, it'll be something else. But the good news is if we co-partner with Jesus, now get this, we have, we're yoked to Jesus. How powerful is Jesus? He's all-powerful. Remember how I said that yokes, uh, uh, oxen need to be balanced. What happens when we come to follow Jesus? The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. We have God living inside of us. So we're yoked to God. Jesus is God. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Equal strength, co-partnering together. Holy Spirit and Jesus working with us. And suddenly the burden becomes light because we have just such, such immense pulling power in being yoked to Jesus. Now, so uh, uh, a couple of things about this. First of all, it's not about the size of the situation. The burden is not about the size of the situation. It's all about where we're yoked. There will always be burdens to pull. It's part of life, friends. If you want to be burden-free, ask God to... No, don't worry about that. There will always be burdens. The, the question about how heavy that burden is comes to who we're yoked with, whether we're yoked to Jesus or not. Whether we're putting our trust in Jesus or not. The second thing, and this came to me uh, 
purely through revelation as I was prophesying over a leader in our, in our church at Hamner one year, and I've, I've probably mentioned this before, prophesying, and I just started prophesying over him and said that you know, God wants you to know that when the burden starts getting heavy, it's an indicator that something is out of alignment with Jesus. And you need to find out what that is and put it right. I thought, ooh, I like that. <laughs> Friends, when our, when our minds start churning over and we can't sleep, when our stomach's in knots, when we're reacting inappropriately to some small things, it's an indicator that something might be out of alignment with Jesus, that we may be yoked or putting our trust in something which is not Jesus, that we've elevated something else above who Jesus is. At that point, we need to find out what it is and put it right. And we will find a, and if that is the case, we will find that there is a shift in our lives and our thought processes in our hearts where we're going from anxiety and worry and stress to hope and joy in our Savior. Do I need to say that again? When, when that takes place, we'll find that um, our mind and heart shifts from anxiety, worry, stress into hope and joy in our Saviour. Still no response. <laughs> if the band can come up. You know, we all, if, if you, if you're in a situation where some of the things that I've described, some of the emotions that I've described is happening for you right now, we all experience it. We all experience it. Co-partnering with Jesus doesn't mean to say that we're immune it's something that is a lifelong journey of working, working through. There may be some here this morning who, um, there may be some here this morning who have never given their lives to Jesus. They've never learned what it means to co-partner. They, they, you are here this morning and you are seeking for some answers like I talked about. And, and all that you've tried to date has been trying to work things out in your own strength. That's you. Jesus is the answer. He wants to co-partner with you. He wants to actually come and bring you a great exchange. In this verse, Jesus is talking about the great exchange where we no longer need to do life on our own strength, but we can do it in the strength of His Holy Spirit. And all we have to do is realize that we are no longer the ones who should be in charge, that we're willing to accept the forgiveness that only Jesus can give, the forgiveness for our sins, the forgiveness for all, all the things that we've done wrong, that we can put Him in charge of our lives. A great exchange takes place, and we find we now uh, partnered and powered with the God of the universe who will give us the strength to overcome whatever life throws against us and we'll be filled with a sense of hope and joy.
If you're here this morning and that describes you, I want you to, to encourage you to make a decision today to actually come into a relationship with Jesus. And if, secondly, if you're here this morning and you realize that actually there are aspects of my life that the Holy Spirit has just been knocking my door about where, I, where I've tried to work it out in my own strength, where I've put other things in charge, and actually I need to hand these over to Jesus. I need to co-partner back with Jesus. I need to actually yoke with him in this situation. Today is the day when you can do that. So as the band uh, leads us back in this song, I Surrender, can I encourage us to stand?